Well, we are continuing in 2 Corinthians, and by way of reminder, we have to look at the Scripture and know that the chapters and verses are not there by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're there so that we can memorize Scripture, know where to go, turn there quickly. And the reason I mention that is because chapter 4 is not a new thought. He's continuing where he left off in chapter 3. And remember, in chapter 3 at the very end, He used this illustration of this sweet fragrance. The illustration was of this conquering general going through Rome and the incense and confetti and the band playing and everybody's excited. And that smell of victory was was great. But for those that had been conquered that were marched through that town, it was the smell of defeat and suffering. And he talked about at the end of chapter 3 about the sweet fragrance of Christ to the believer. And as believers, we, we smell that that spirit and the word of God moving in the conviction, and it smells fantastic. But for the non-believer, the believer, the non-believer does not have that same sense. In fact, they kind of reject the gospel. They're, they're the critic, the one that turns against. But he didn't stop there. One of the last verses in chapter 3 says, We are not as so many peddling Christ, that they weren't selling the gospel. He was not a professional teacher in that it was simply a career. It was a calling from God. Remember, he's responding to Corinthian criticisms. Remember, the Corinthians had personally insulted him. At least one person had. They're they're coming against him. They're, They're looking at these new people that had come in, and we'll see this in the next few chapters, who are called super apostles, or calling themselves super apostles, we should say, saying they're better than Paul. And so he, he's going to continue this thought that he left off with in chapter 3. And he's going to start in chapter 4 as he continues to make this defense. But before we hit those verses, let's pray. Lord, we want you to have your way with us. We want you to teach us, to guide us, and direct us. We pray that we would grow closer to you every single day. That we would leave here refreshed and continuing to be refreshed as we seek after you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so with that introduction, let's read verses 1 through 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart." So he, he left off in chapter 3, you know, we're not here to get paid. This isn't about money. We're not selling the gospel. And he says, what do you need, Con- commendation letters? Now, what are these commendation letters? I, I don't know if you know this, but in the first century, you can't call ahead. You can't check uh, somebody out on their website. They don't have a podcast or a book. Uh, you don't even have the way to communicate ahead of time and call, hey, I'm on my way, so-and-so is going to meet you there at this time. So in the nation of Israel and in Judaism and then in Christianity in the first century, what they did is they had these letters of commendation. And so you would just show up and you'd knock on the synagogue or the church or the the house church you're meeting at, and you would have a letter from Paul that says, this guy is legit. He's a real pastor, real preacher. You should listen to him. And that's how you would know if somebody was legitimate or not. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in the New Testament, we see letters of commendation all the time. I'll spare you from putting it all in the slides, but Paul talks about letters of commendation in chapter 16 of Romans, 1 Corinthians 16, 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, Philemon verses 10 and 12, and Philemon 17 and 19 throughout the New Testament. These letters of commendation, they're important and they're useful. But they're not the end-all, be-all. And the question is, the Corinthians were like, well, we want to see your letter of commendation. We're, we're, who said that you were the, the apostle? Remember, 2 Corinthians starts with Paul's calling from God, from Christ. And we saw that calling in Acts. And Paul is responding back to them, you, don't, you are my letter of commendation the work that is done here in the Corinthians. Now, think about this for a moment. These are the people that are backbiting against him. They're rebelling against him. They're criticizing him. They're even insulting him. And he says, you are my fruit in the gospel. That's crazy. I mean, I, I don't have the... I'd be like, you guys are a bunch of deadbeats. That's what I would say. I wouldn't say you're my fruit in the gospel. And yet here he is. Now, the closest thing to commendation letters we have in the 21st century is going to be ordinations or degrees. Oh, he's this guy. He's, ordin he's ordained from this church or from this person. Or this guy, he's got a doctorate in theology from fill in your favorite high-end seminary. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're important. We're not putting those things down, but they're not the end-all, be-all. This isn't about money or titles. This isn't about man's reputation. This is about what God is doing. We have to remind ourselves that you can have spiritual work. You can be religious. You can do religious things. You can perform miracles even and not be walking with the Lord and not be a servant. Jesus himself tells us that in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Notice Jesus doesn't deny those things happen, but he does say this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But Lord, my, my paper... My paper says, it doesn't mean anything to the Lord. Again, we're not putting those things down just for the sake of putting those things down. But Paul is saying, the real commendation is that God is working in him and through him. And notice how he says that. He says in verse 3, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. Not, not his ministry, it's not his work. No, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. I, I want us to notice that Paul is saying he's not the ink, and Paul's saying he's not the author. As an apostle, as a minister of the gospel, he's just the pen. He's not the ink or the writer. The Lord is doing the writing, and the ink is the Holy Spirit, according to the Scripture. He's just simply a tool a vessel being used. And so it should be with every one of us. We shouldn't be looking to what man thinks is important. We should be looking for the fruit of God, the work of God. Now, Guzik, he sums this up great in his commentary. That man is just blessed to be able to take super complicated things and bring them down to a level that I can understand them in. 
And this is what he says about it. He says, while there is an important purpose in a public ordination to ministry, a piece of paper in itself never is a proper credential. The true credentials of the ministry are changed lives, living epistles. We might almost say, keep your paper to yourself and show us the changed lives from your ministry. And that's what Paul's saying here. Remember, the, the rebuttal is against those that were coming in with these big, great letters. They were charging a lot of money, and they were starting to say, wow, they're very professional. They're really great. And Paul's not interested in any of those things. He's interested in doing the work of God. Are you interested in those things? Now, I want to take a moment here because this is a foundation, these first few verses, to the rest of this chapter. Because he says here that it is written on hearts, tablets of flesh in verse 3. He says, The Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Now, those with a Jewish background in Corinth, they are 100% grasping what's being told here. He is talking about Ezekiel chapter 11 and Ezekiel chapter 36, that God would grant hearts of flesh and would take the stony hearts from within them, that something has changed. The hardened heart, the veiled heart, those that were resistant to the Scripture, those that had the fragrance of death, remember chapter 3? They become believers. Chapter 2. In chapter, the end of chapter 2. And so they had this fragrance of death, and now it's a fragrance of life, and it's written on the tablets of their heart. The question is, is the Word of God being written on your tablets of your heart? Are you just going through religious things? Are you showing up to church? Do you think that this is your walk with God? When we say you need to have a personal walk with God, do you think that showing up to church on Sunday is doing it? See, Paul's talking about a personal relationship and fruits of the Spirit, and he's able to say these things to people that are resisting his message. Now, the prophets spoke about this very thing that Paul's talking about. Well, why is this important? Because he's going to use illustrations from the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's important for us as believers to understand the new covenant is not the redo. It's not the revision. It has always been prophesied that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come and fulfill the law. And it leads us to a really different relationship with our Creator than anyone in the Old Testament ever had. He's going to illustrate this, but I want to show you that in Jeremiah chapter 31 when it says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Speaking of Jesus coming, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What's he talking about there? All shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. All shall know me. The least, that's me, to the greatest. Those with the most eloquent letters. The highest prestige. This is crazy talk to them. But in the time of Jeremiah, they're prophesying of a time when every single person will have access to God one to one. And that time, that was not the case. The only time you can enter the presence of God is if you're a male. 
You're a male of a certain tribe. You're a male of a certain tribe at a certain time. And you can only go one day of the year and only after many rituals are performed. Their mentality was, if I did all these things, we'll be a little sarcastic here, and I did all these things and I'm lucky enough, I can have access to God. What Paul's telling the Corinthians is, those days are over, Jesus is here. And we have our victorious Christ leading us through and we have access to God. That had to be my son. Only my son could hit the wall that hard and not be screaming. (laughs) We have personal access to God. It's our relationship with him, a personal relationship. And it's always been God's will to do that. But we couldn't have it without Christ. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we pray this every day, the nation of Israel. And the Lord your God And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Paul's telling the Corinthians, why are you looking for all this stuff? You have access to God through Christ and it's free. You don't have to pay for it. These other people that are claiming to be ministers, Paul's going to later call them out. Tell them they're not apostles at all. They're leading you astray. The question for you and I is, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Do you think that your relationship with God is here at this church? See, I'm just an ink pen. I'm not the ink, and I'm not the writer. You have a personal relationship with God. You have access through Christ to the Father. This is important because he's going to use this Old Testament illustration to show us something, something that's very important. Uh, Let's read verses 4 through 6 together. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. I mean, this is incredible. Do you know what Paul was able to accomplish? I mean, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was lashed. He was arrested. He was put in prisons, falsely accused. He was caught in riots. I mean, he went through all these things. And yet he says he has such trust in God through Christ and that he's not sufficient to do any of these things. And the key is you are not sufficient. In your personal relationship with God, you are not sufficient. You may be trying to do it all on your own. In fact, later on in this epistle, in chapter chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, Paul's going to say this. He's going to say, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. That's God speaking to him. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm going to come back here in a second. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, in Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We talk about a personal relationship with the Lord. Look at this verse here. Do you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? 
I see you. I see you guys coming in here, and I tell everybody, I preach to a mirror, so I'm preaching to myself. Every week you come in here knuckles dragging, tired, work is bearing down on you, relationships are bearing down on you, politics, family, completely drained, completely drained, just trying to make it through life. And unfortunately, some Christians think that's what it is to be a Christian. They think that Christianity is to suffer until you die and the Lord returns. No, the power of Christ rests upon Paul, and he's able to say that when he is weak, Christ makes him strong. He's not sufficient within himself. That's the connection. Why, is, why do we Christians think we're sufficient in ourselves? If you come to church and you think that Sunday or maybe even Wednesday night is a relationship with God, you're wrong. Hey, this is a place where we receive the word of God corporately. He speaks to us. But we need to have personal relationships with God, access that we have liberty in Christ. I want you to look at what he writes here in verse 10. He says, I take pleasure in infirmities. That's injuries, hardships. That's being hurt. That's physical pain. In reproaches means he takes pleasure in criticisms. Reproaches doesn't mean, hey, you know, Paul, pick up your laundry. Reproaches means, Paul, you're one of the worst people on the planet. What's wrong with you? Uh, I don't got a problem with that. Go ahead. In needs, financial needs, physical needs. And persecution means outright hatred because he is representing Jesus Christ in the gospel. In distresses, and he takes pleasure in them for Christ's sake. He can't do it in his own. He's saying, when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong in who? Because he has the power of Christ resting upon him. The Lord had told him that my strength is made perfect in weakness. So why are we trying to do this Christian thing on our own? Why are we trying to do this by being sufficient in and of ourselves? Why are we not coming to the Lord? It's been well said that we leak spiritually. You know, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you may even be refilled with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, on a Sunday morning. And then the second you you leave here, you start leaking. And by, the, by Wednesday, you're like dragging. I, I use this illustration. When I was in high school, I had my car, you know, your first car, the beater that you got. And it was always on E all the time. So I'm, I'm scrounging in the center console trying to find my money, and I get like that buck 19. Now, I, I'm old enough to remember gas prices being lower, not as low as some of you. I know, I get it, but just bear with me. You get your buck 19, you're like, that's a full tank of gas. I stop that. And so you're praying. I wasn't even a believer then. I'm praying, Lord, can I make it? God, can I make it to the gas station? And you pull in barely. You go up to the counter, drop your dollar 19 cents. Sweet. I'm going to make it. You go put your gas in there. And it comes up like one eighth. Like not even coming up. You barely got a couple of gallons. You're like, I'm good for a few days. Why are you living spiritually like this? As a Christian, why are you living your Christian life like this? Paul is talking about the power of Christ in his life. And he says that he is, his sufficiency is in Christ, and in his weakness he is made strong. If Paul had your life, he'd think he was on vacation. But we're coming in here dragging our knee. Oh, it's so terrible out there. Oh, I'm just trying to survive. It's so hard. Let's not make it spiritual. If I took an immigrant from the 1800s to the United States and I put him in your life right now, he would think he's a king, he or she. 
air conditioning, food in the fridge, mobile transportation everywhere, 40-hour work weeks. Here in, here in this area in Savannah, they had cotton gins. Six-year-old kids were working 16-hour days. Try and be a person of color in South Carolina in the 1960s and tell me how hard your life is. Because we're on E. We're on spiritual E. We just come into the gas station, drop our buck down, and we're like, sweet, I, I'm, I'm ready to go for the next week. And Paul is talking about the power of Christ. He's talking about the living water that Jesus tells us. That we're to have a personal relationship with God. And your purpose as a Christian is not to just live life on E. No, to be full, spiritually full, to be able to go into all the world and preach the gospel when everybody's against you. It doesn't matter. Listen to what Paul writes to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, this is what he writes. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, right? highlight this, nobody's highlighting, you're not writing this, you can memorize all this, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's you and him. That's not me and you. That's you and him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all of them, every Christian, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Spiritually, your tank is on full, F. Don't let that thing go past half. You have the Lord's debit card, his son who purchased his life on the cross so that we can have the fullness of God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with all the fullness of God. Are you? No. No, my biggest fear for our youth today, our youngest ones, is they don't have a personal relationship with God. Listen, my kids, they go to Christian private school, sacrifice a lot for them to go there, and I love it. My kids get Bible studies in my home at my family table from me. They are forced to be in church all the time. And I'm terrified that they don't have a personal relationship with God. And you all nod in your heads, but do you? Are you reading your Bible on your own? Are you praying? Are, are you talking to God on your own? Do you know what Jesus likes? Do you know what you do in your life that he doesn't like? What displeases him? And are you even concerned about it? We talk about a personal relationship with God. You want to live your life on spiritual F, full, full tank all the time, able to handle all the crises of this world? Listen, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself. It's a mirror. I'm looking right at myself and I'm saying, yeah, you need that. Because I want to handle the crisis of life. I want to be in the worst conditions. I want to be like Paul in the book of Acts, in that dungeon, singing in the middle of the night. In my flesh, I'm not singing. I'm crying in the corner. Lord, why do you let me do this? Paul is singing praises to God. Because when he says this stuff, it's real. He believes the word of God and he does it. Paul says here, going back to the chapter, he says that the law, the letter, kills. But the spirit of God brings life. You're going to talk about that in the next section. 
But the point, the why, why do we have the Old Testament then? What, what's the point of all that? Remember Galatians chapter 3. The law is a schoolmaster that leads man to Christ. Verse 24 of chapter 3. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by the faith. That's what gives us access, Jesus Christ. We have a personal relationship with him. Something the Old Testament believers could never fathom. The mysterious words of prophets, and we have it for ourselves, and we don't even use it. Listen, go home, take your cell phone, turn it off, and put it in a drawer. Get up and go pray by yourself. No one needs to do it. Now, I'm also going to give you a trick here. This is a side note. If you put on Instagram or any other social media, look at me, I'm praying. I'm going to tell you what I think every time I see that. Well, they don't do that all the time. They don't do that every day then. They're showing off because it's been a long time since they did it. And they're excited. The Lord, hopefully, I hope the Lord has spoken to them at that time. So don't do that rookie mistake, okay? Let's act like we do it all the time. But Paul's going to continue here. He's talking about being the ink pen for the Holy Spirit to work, that the Corinthians themselves, even though they are the problem, are the fruit of the work of God. And he's saying that we have access to God. We should be filled that he is not sufficient within himself, that it all comes from the Lord. And we have the spirit that gives life. The very end of verse 6, but the spirit gives life. And yet we act, we act like we don't have it. Let's read verses 7 through 11. He's going to continue now. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Verse 10. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Now, we don't talk like this in our normal language, so it it may be kind of hard to follow what he's talking about. But in Exodus chapter 34, Moses goes up the mountain. He spends all this time with God. He comes down, and his face is literally glowing because of the presence of God. And Paul teaches us here that the reason they put a veil over his face is he didn't want the nation of Israel to see that the longer he was away from the Lord, the more that that shining was going away. The glowing was dimming. And the same thing is true of you and me. You're trying to live in the law. You're trying to live in the word. You're trying to do religious things. And you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And every time you step away from the church of the Word of God, your spirit, your countenance, you're dimming. And that's Paul's illustration here, that the law, no one in their own strength could have this glory. But the ministry of Jesus Christ, which we have access in, is living waters. And you shall never thirst again. And you can be full all the time. And even though you leak, Spend time in his presence. Spend time in his presence. And that's the illustration. And they're using Moses. This is the highest illustration you can use for those that had come out of Judaism or been completed as Christians, I should say. We have some um, Messianic Jews here, and they will be infuriated if I tell, if I say that they converted. They didn't convert. They're completed. I'm sorry. Pray for me. 
are online right now yelling at the TV. I know it. They're completed in the faith. And so we need to be completed in the faith. Now, this veil, it means more than just this hiding. This veil is important because the nation of Israel is under that veil. And Paul's going to tell us in the next chapter, chapter 4, non-believers are covered by this veil. They don't see the gospel. Remember the fragrance? The fragrance to the believer, oh, this is amazing, this message. And yet there's some people here, just by, just by amount of people, who are not believers. And, and you're just, this is, you're waiting to go to the bathroom, go to lunch. You're just like, when is this over? Because you, you're blinded by the enemy. The Bible says in the book of Romans, you're a slave to sin. You don't even know it. In fact, chapter 4, I'll give you a little hint later in verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There's that shining again. Now, I'm not a Calvinist, but God is sovereign. And so when we're praying for non-believers, are you praying for non-believers? I hope you are. We need to be praying that the Lord removes the blinders of the enemy from their eye. The difference between the Calvinist is the Calvinist believes that God just saves people no matter what. They don't have a choice where we trust the word of God that, yes, he has to remove the blinders of the enemy. He's 100% sovereign over all things. But there's a point when they have, after those blinders are removed, they have to make a free will choice. Now, when is that choice? I have no idea. The Bible says the deep mysteries of God belong to God. I, have, I can't tell you the exact point where his sovereignty and our free will. I don't, I don't even think that there's a jumping off point. I think it's just in unison. But I know what the scripture tells us, that we have to choose this day whom we serve. So there is a decision that has to be made in, in all people. But so we should be praying for this veil. But the question is then, are you wearing the veil? Are you getting blinded? Now, the contrast here, just to separate it, because it's kind of hard for us to see the, the two columns here. It's between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, verse 7 and 9, brings death and condemnation. But the end of verse 9, the new covenant brings righteousness. That's what we get. We get the new covenant. The old covenant has the word engraved on stones. Other people bring us the gospel. But the new covenant, the word of God is written on our hearts, fulfilling those prophecies. The old covenant has a fading glory. The new covenant in Jesus has a lasting glory that's in verses 10 and 11 8 10 and 11 lasting glory don't you want a lasting glory look at listen i am selfish i want the very best that christ has for me you don't think i'm selfish take me to the buffet put me in part of the dessert section i, I want every single thing on there a little bit of everything so why are as christians are we not doing the same thing lord what do you have i want all of it i want everything you have I want the fullness of Christ. You remember those verses? I, I know I'm, there's nothing sufficient in me. I'm just a vessel. I can't do this work. But I am sick and tired of living my Christian life on E, just trying to get it up that eighth of an inch to get to the next gas station. I want to have a full tank. I want it all. I don't want to be a dimming glory. I want to go through life and go through trials, tribulations, rebukes. I want to go through persecution and all those things, singing to God, not affected by anything, because I have the power of Christ. That's what Paul's been talking about. 
said, go do it. Spend time with the Lord. Now, Paul's not done yet. He wants to talk about verses 12 through 18. He wants to talk about Moses a little bit more and this great, this great gift that we have in the new covenant in verses 12 through 18. He says, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, underlined here, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we talked about the veil. We talked about the concealing, how we need to pray that the veil is taken away, about choice versus sovereignty, and how we don't really know where that is, but we're obedient to the Scripture. But he says here in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Context is so important. When we hear liberty, we hear, oh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, we can do whatever we want. Pentecostals use this verse. It's tortured to confess to saying what it doesn't say. What it's talking about here is liberty of access, that we can come to the throne room boldly through Christ. And that's what was said here earlier. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, you can enter into the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, anytime by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament believers, they couldn't enter into the presence of God. Their prayers had to go through people first, through an offering, through a sacrifice, through the slaying of animals, through a priesthood. Our great high priest is Jesus Christ himself in the book of Hebrews. And we simply pray and we're talking to God. And yet you don't do it. You, you have this great miracle through Jesus Christ available to you all the time. And you just wait till Sunday and Wednesday. And then you show up and you talk about how Christian you are and the Christian things you are doing. And listen, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he's going to tell people that are performing miracles. Depart from me. I never knew you. Who are you? Now, I don't use that as a conviction for us to be saved. The majority of us here are saved. I'm talking about getting full and being filled with the Spirit to stop suffering through life and have every gift that God has for us. Just, remind, just remember yourself, as Mike B. in front of that buffet, I want it all. I'm selfish. I want all the Spirit. Anything that God has for me, I want to take it. I want to have that spiritual filling, knowing that I'm leaking daily. So how, how, how? Go home, open your Bible, and read it and pray. And pray throughout your day. Pray without ceasing. Seek after Christ. Enjoy the access that you have to Jesus. Casting all your cares. Not some of your cares. Not the big cares. Not the big worries. All your cares at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. He's not talking about Ferraris and lottery winning tickets. He's talking about relationship. Liberty of access. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How can Paul... Talk to these Corinthians this way, sharing these things with them after suffering so much. You remember his travels and all the things that he went through. And then to, 
to go to the church that you planted and have them in rebellion against you? And what does Paul do? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what Jesus is doing in me. Let me tell you about the access you have in Jesus. Let me tell you about the liberty that we have in Christ. I want to be like that. And the scripture says that we can. We can. We can and we should. And Jesus told us that when we come to him, it's to be through the word of God, through prayer, through fellowship. He said in John chapter 4, verse 4, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The word of God and the spirit of God, they have the same will. Jesus is the word of God. And that word of God works in us and we're filled with the Holy Spirit when we're born again. And it's working together in us. So we're to seek the Lord, be refreshed every day, be seeking him, seeking him. Our desire to be with Christ should be higher than our desire for food. That's what fasting is for, to remind yourself and your flesh that he is more important than even physical sustenance. He should be more important to you than going to you anything, any media, any social media, any screen. If you're going to screen for comfort, you're just having your life sucked out of you through your eyeballs. But when you spend time with the Lord, reading, praying with him, engaging with him, you're being filled and refreshed with waters, living waters. We are to have a spiritual relationship with him. And we need to stop being distracted by religious man-made things like letters and commendations and PhDs and all this other stuff. Where is your fruit, the fruit of the gospel? We need to pray and read and walk in faith, be spirit-filled. And that's what Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, it comes down to this. We, we had a lot of powerful scriptures, a great word in 2 Corinthians. It comes down to this. You either believe the word of God or you don't. You either are going to accept this and you're going to receive it because it's from God and not from yourself. And you're going to be reinvigorated, re-energized, refilled, refreshed. You're going to have the comfort of God, the strength of God. You're going to have Christ on you or not. And you can hear this word and you could just go away and you could just continue to live the same way that you always lived. But we have victory in Christ and we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul and our strength. Physical, emotional, spiritual, all of it. And many of us are kidding ourselves to say that we have a personal relationship with God. You don't talk to him. You don't know him. You just show up to his house once in a while. A visitor at best. And I pray that's not the case. I pray that we're not convicted. But if we are, we could just start right now. That's the great thing about our Lord. His mercies are new every day. Just come to him. It's all about him, through him, and by him. And you can do those things. And you can have that refreshing and be able to go through things in this life with a song on your lips or you can drag yourself through life with a tear in your eyes it's whether you believe it or not let's pray lord we thank you so much for your word our prayer is that you refresh and refill us here this morning that these words are written on the tablets of our heart that we receive them gratefully that we are encouraged strengthened blessed beyond all belief to be able to handle any trial lord 
We can only do it in you because we are not sufficient in ourselves. We cannot do it apart from you. Help us to be the believers you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. And as Pastor Reggie was saying, there's brothers and sisters up here to pray with you, lay hands on you. I believe there are still lots of fat pills out there. I mean desserts. (laughs) To bless you all. God bless you and have a wonderful week.